welcome to the reality revolution. Today, we are returning to our series on the universal laws. Recently, you may have noticed a pattern on the channel. I've been trying to do a deep dive on the universal laws that are tied into our reality. I believe this is the algorithm in understanding the simulation, as I repeatedly say. If we understand these laws, then we can use them to our benefit. We can understand the nature of life and the ways that cause and effect come around within this simulation. We have recently discussed the law of receiving, the law of increase, the law of success, the law of forgiveness, law of compensation. Each of them have resulted in important levels of awareness and have aided me incredibly in my own life and with clients that I've worked with. Sometimes it's very simple. We try to make the world somewhat complicated, but in many ways, the world is quite simple. It is running upon some very basic universal laws and not very many of them. If we understand these laws and that they are always in effect, then we can use them to our benefit. It is so wonderful once you understand that these laws are for your benefit. And if you utilize them, incredible things will happen. But it's like the law of gravity. You cannot overcome the law of gravity. If you jump out of a building, you're not going to fly upward because that is not the law. We can create our reality within the different algorithms and different laws within this simulation. One of the most important is the law of sacrifice. The law of sacrifice has been discussed in religious circles from the very beginning of time. When we first see Moses, in many cases and in many places, they refer to the law of sacrifice as the law of Moses. In the Bible, the law of sacrifice is an offering which presents divinity by way of expiation or propitiation or as a token acknowledgement or thanksgiving to immolate on the altar of God in order to atone for sin, to procure favor, or to express thankfulness. All in all, there is no success without sacrifice. Oftentimes, some people are called to give up more than others. However, in the end, everyone must sacrifice something at some point. Sacrifices are instructive as well as worshipful. They are usually accompanied by prayer, devotion, and dedication. We must realize that our faith is a faith of sacrifice. Our idea of reality creation is rooted in these old spiritual principles, and they are based upon books with full laws of commands, and they deal with sacrifices. We see the fulfillment of those sacrifices in the New Testament, and they call people of God to make sacrifices of themselves. The idea and process of sacrifice is scattered throughout ancient spiritual texts. They are hints of sacrifice as far back as Genesis. If you're interested in doing more research on specific instances of sacrifice, Genesis 4-2-5, where they discuss sacrifices offered by Cain and Abel. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord and Abel 
also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock the lord looked with favor on abel and his offering but on cain and his offering he did not look with favor so cain was very angry and his face was downcast here we have an example of two different sacrifices and the nature of them in genesis 8 20 the sacrifice offered by noah then noah built an altar to the lord and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds he sacrificed burnt offerings on it so we get a lot of animal sacrifice in the old testament and i've heard many different spiritual leaders and different ministers tell me that the new testament is sort of the end of all that sacrifice that jesus made the ultimate sacrifice so those other sacrifices didn't need to be made but if we take the teachings of neville goddard we know that these things are symbolic they represent ideas movements and states within your mind as it is a biography of you the law of sacrifice in the bible doesn't specify a particular code of sacrifice however throughout the books there one will find the burnt offering the guilt offering the sin offering and the peace offering even though there aren't real guidelines we know that there is some significance associated with the respected offering there's evidence when you read the story of cain and abel god didn't think their sacrifices were equal to truly live out the law of sacrifice it would be putting the infinite creator the one creator before all other things that's the sacrifice that we're making we're sacrificing to the oneness we're sacrificing our own consciousness to the oneness and the more we do that the more we enter into this god level state sacrifice allows us to learn something about ourselves about what we're willing to offer the universe the oneness the creator as a whole as jesus according to his story at least would have made the ultimate sacrifice we sing sacrifice brings forth the blessings of heaven this is a true principle i have found when i sacrifice my time my love and a variety of other things this sacrifice always comes back to me one great book that i recommend you read is the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership by john c maxwell and he has as one of those 21 irrefutable laws the law of sacrifice particularly in forms of leadership or running companies he explains that as you rise in leadership your responsibilities increase as your rights decrease think about it can you expect your employees to work long hours give up their vacation time or stay focused around the holidays if you as their leader aren't willing to do those things it's your job as their leader to embody the qualities you want to see and chief among them is dedication there's no more significant way to show your commitment to the company than through the law of sacrifice maxwell writes about the four critical aspects of the law of sacrifice one there is no success without sacrifice if you think about life's great achievements graduation marriage career each comes with an equally enormous amount of sacrifice even the most successful people we can think of such as athletes or celebrities must put in long hours and give up the luxury of living a normal life to get where they are secondly leaders are often asked to give up more than others maxwell writes the heart of leadership is putting others ahead of yourself when you have no responsibilities you have total freedom to do whatever you want however the higher you climb on the leadership ladder the more responsibilities you acquire and the more sacrifices you must make third you must keep 
giving up to stay up. Short-term sacrifices are easy to justify. People are willing to put in long hours if it means they'll get a quick promotion. However, to continue moving up the ladder, you must continue to make sacrifices. As Maxwell says, leadership success requires continual change, constant improvement, and ongoing sacrifice. Or the higher the level of leadership, the higher the sacrifice. No matter your industry or career path, increasing leadership increases sacrifice. You must be prepared to give up your free time, your family time, and sometimes even your salary to maintain the success of your company and its employees. And that's just an example of a corporate environment. The question to ask yourself is, are you sacrificing enough for the reality you want to create? Well, in that regard, I wanted to read some more of Raymond Hollowell and his beautiful book, Working with the Law. We've covered a number of chapters from this book so far, and he wrote a chapter on the law of sacrifice. Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth into life, and few there be that findeth it. Matthew 7.14 Every man should have an ideal or a hero. If there is one who has none and desires none, do not trust him too far. A man who has no ideals does not wish to be any greater than he is, and will in time prove a detriment to others. Abraham Lincoln is the ideal hero for the American youth, and that applies to any youth from 6 to 60 or over. Lincoln came from the lowliest and poorest of stock, and yet rose to the highest office in the land that we as a people can bestow. There's hardly a boy or a man today who cannot say that he has as many or more natural gifts and opportunities than Lincoln had. He was plain and honest and determined to get along in his world. He had many faults, like all of us. He would rather rest his lanky body in some comfortable position and proceed to tell yarns than to do any work. He was neither as polite nor as polished as his wife wanted him to be. He had but a few dollars in his pocket when he moved into the White House as our president. But money does not make a man. Polished manners do not make him. Even education does not make a great a man whose soul is small. Abe's soul began to grow from the seed of thought that was placed in his mind when yet a small lad by his mother who made it a point to teach him that she could when she was able. One day Mrs. Lincoln became very ill and knowing that she was dying, called her family around her bedside, then placed her feeble hand upon little Abe's head. She said to them, Be good to one another. She expressed the hope that they live as she had taught them, loving their kindred and worshiping God. She had done her work and stopped shouldered, thin-breasted, sad at times, most miserable, without prospect of better conditions on earth, she passed away. She may have dreamed but little realized the grand future that lay in store for the ragged, hapless boy who stood at her side. Though Abe was quite young at her passing, he never forgot his mother. She taught him a lesson that he carried with him through life. She taught him that the beginning of wisdom is not imposed by discipline, but the beginning of wisdom is first the desire for discipline, the love of it, the voluntary choice of it. Thus he learned that discipline is the high road that leads to everything that makes life worth living. Go to a concert or opera today and listen to the voice that captivates the music lovers who hear it. Voices of such artists as McCormick, Lily Pons, Thomas, Eddie, McDonald, Moore, and your favorites that you can name. 
How do they ever happen? Uh, they do not happen. Granted that they may be especially gifted, but those final magical results come not by chance or accident, but from discipline. Discipline that is consciously chosen, ardently desired, and patiently persisted in. We hear it said that we are an undisciplined generation of people. This, however, is not true. In every realm of life, we enjoy the fruits of disciplined research and toil, with results far greater than our forefathers ever dreamed. I shall never forget the thrilling experience I had one evening sitting in my home before a cozy fireside. The radio was beside my chair, and I casually reached over, turned it on, and selected a prominent station. To my keen surprise, I heard a voice calling Richard Byrd in the Antarctic regions at the South Pole. I then heard the commander tell of the hazards and difficulties that they had met the day before as they unloaded supplies and hauled them to their new home. Little America over the slope of broken ice and drifted snow. Had he written a detailed report and sent it by letter, it would have taken months to reach us. Yet here, in less than a second, his voice vibrated through the air and I, like many others, heard him before the happenings of the day. The old miracle workers never dreamed that such as this could happen. Happen, that is not the word. Discipline, that is it. It was painstaking, scientific, technical discipline that produced such a result. We are not an undisciplined generation in any realm except one. That is in our morals, in science, in art, in athletics, in any practical endeavor. We know the worth of of discipline yet we let ourselves go we must have our fling we unleash our instincts and throw off restraint it is the denial of discipline that characterizes much of our moral life men everywhere are awakening to the necessity of disciplining their thoughts and acts we train domestic animals carefully we harness the forces of nature to serve us regularly and well and yet when it comes to ourselves the most valued of all we let our thoughts run wild no one can attain his ambitions until he learns to discipline his mental force and is able to control his thinking. No one can be truly religious before his mind is in order and his ideals are brought in harmony with the divine mind. No one can gain wisdom and understanding of life except that he seeks it in God's appointed way according to the law. First let us note one simple fact. Something always has to be sacrificed for something else. Everything in life has its own price and is ever up for sale. We have to purchase it at the price it demands. Day after day we go up to life's counter and say, I will give you this if you will give me that. This bartering has another name more familiar perhaps, we call it sacrifice. Sacrifice then is not what our preachers have made it out to be. It is an inescapable necessity. It is a definite law that we must obey. We are sacrificing every day of our lives whether we want to or not, whether we know it or not. No matter what we want of life, we have to give up something in order to get it. From one of the master's sayings, the modern mind shrinks back and tries to avoid. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there are that findeth it. How we dislike to hear such words. We are through with narrowness. We say we are more liberal today we want the broad open ways. We claim our freedom and declare there is no need for us to be so narrow. We will not go through the small and narrow way. Yet there are few statements that Jesus uttered that are more accurate and complete than that one. 
No man will ever find the richness of life in any realm by loose and casual wandering. Always he will have to go down a narrow way and through a straight gate called discipline. Go hear Chrysler play his violin and listen to music that is almost divine. Watch the skilled surgeon at his delicate task of repairing a broken body that it may hold its life a little longer for the soul to grow stronger. Consider the scientist in his laboratory with his scientific formulas. Remember George Eliot saying that she was a young woman when she began Romola, but an old one when she finished it. Or think of Admiral Byrd flying over the South Pole and talking to us about it by means of radio. Are such experiences life? Indeed they are. Liberated life of an attained achievement, the most satisfying sort of living man can ever know. But straight is the gate and narrow is the way of discipline that leads to such a life. When this law of sacrifice is carried over into the moral realm, it is commonly presented one-sided. We are taught that if we want to live a good life, we have to give up so many pleasures. How familiar that sounds to some of us. The result is that we rebel, and we think of sacrifice, we think of the ones who have had to give up so much pleasure for goodness. Who are some of the great sacrificers in history? Well, there was Socrates, who drank the hemlock. There was Jesus, who was crucified on the cross. There was Paul, who was beheaded. There was Peter, who was crucified upside down. There were Luther and Wesley and Calvin, all religionists. There were Livingstone, Nightingale, and scores of others. But think for a moment. Are they the ones who made the most terrific sacrifices? We speak of the supreme sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross. We read of the martyrdom of Saints Peter, Paul, and John. But what about Judas Iscariot? Think of what he had a chance to become. Think of the companionship he once possessed and the place he might have occupied. Think of what he threw away. Think of what he got for it. I say to you, the cross was not a sacrifice to be compared with what Judas paid for but thirty pieces of silver and utter disgrace he cast aside the richest opportunity of any man in all history. A youth who had disdained discipline had cast aside restraint and had his fling wrote as he sat behind prison bars, a thousand thousand times I paid in full for those few hours. This young man and his nephew a few years his junior had attended a revival meeting in a town not far from me and on their way home they argued the question the minister had talked about at the meeting. The argument grew into angry words and when they reached home this anger had been fanned to a murderous heat. The younger man went to his room and got a gun and shot at the uncle. The uncle in turn wrestled for the gun and turned it upon the youth and killed him. I say this is costly living. We should take this earnestly unto ourselves and realize how the word sacrifice touches every one of us. A man called at my office seeking help in a very serious problem. He had a fine home, a lovely devoted wife, and two splendid children. It is true that the wife had taken up much of her time with the children, and the husband was going out to his club and social affairs alone. He had met another woman and thought he was in love with her. This was his problem. What about the family and the home? There's only one answer. It is not for me or any mortal to decide. The law will determine it for you. You cannot have a lovely home, a devoted family, and enjoy loose living. If you will not sacrifice or give up the loose living for the lovely home, you'll be forced to sacrifice a lovely home and loved ones for loose living. You cannot enjoy the satisfactions and pleasures of a true friendship and indulge in a bad temper. If you will not sacrifice your temper for friendships, 
you will sacrifice your friendships for a bad temper. One cannot have a sterling character that friends will respect and trust and resort to crooked practices if he will not give up his crooked ways for trustworthiness. He will have to sacrifice his trustworthiness for crookedness. You may ever be sure of this no matter how far you may go before the rope gets tight, no matter how wild or how lax you may live, even though you think you are getting away with it and do, you cannot fool the law. Something always has to be paid for something else. All fine living, all success and happiness is like fine art. You must choose the spiritual beauty to be created and desired. Then go the straight and narrow way to gain it. For the beginning of wisdom is the first, the desire of discipline. Some say, then, that if you want to enjoy the pleasures of life, this means that your freedom is impossible. It means, on the contrary, that you, who think this, have not found what real freedom is. This reminds me of a drunkard who is giving a stump lecture to the amusement of a few on the subject of freedom. He declared he wanted his freedom, and he had a right to drink all the liquor he wanted and no government could stop him. He was having his freedom, and yet he was so drunk, he did not know what he was saying or doing. Freedom is not living an obsessed, undisciplined life. Freedom is in being able to control your life and in making it what you want it to be. If you wish to become a skilled athlete, an efficient teacher, an expert lawyer, or a beautiful singer, the beginning of such success is first the desire for discipline of your time and thought. If you want that rich, radiant, and worthwhile specialty in living life, the world is just the same. An undisciplined life is an insane life. We must pull ourselves together around high ideals of clean, serviceable, and effective living under the highest leadership we know or under the teachings and the example of a master. The highest example of a master is the Christ. In all his work and teachings, he proved that discipline, self-control, and self-mastery ever precede wisdom and achievement. Mrs. Lincoln had taught his words to little Abe, and it was because Abe grew into manhood and sacrificed his life of laziness, looseness, and careless meanderings for the straight and narrow way of a disciplined life of principle and honesty and justice that caused him to become a great soul. It was the law of sacrifice working through him that enabled him to become the president and savior of a great nation. Evidence of this greatness was seen in his work at Washington. During the war, a young Vermont boy whose name was William Scott was sentenced to face the firing squad for being found asleep at his post. Now it wasn't Scott's post, but that of his buddy, whom he had relieved when he became ill. Double duty was too much for Scott, so he fell asleep. He was so well liked by all that his captain and friends appealed his case to the president. Lincoln decided to go chain bridge and handle the case in person. He went to the camp and talked to Scott. Scott said he was the kindest person he had ever met. He said the president had asked him about his home, the farm, his friends, and lastly his mother. He said... He was glad he could draw a picture of her out of the bosom of his shirt and show it to him. Mr. Lincoln told him how thankful he should be to have a mother and how he should make her proud mother and that he should never cause her another sorrow or tear. Scott thought it very strange that he did not speak of his fate in the morning, strange that he should advise not to cause his mother another sorrow or tear when he was about to die. Finally, he mustered up his courage and asked the president if he would grant one favor, namely, that he would not have to face his friends, but that a firing squad be drawn from another company. 
Mr. Lincoln wheeled about and facing Scott said, My boy, you are not going to be shot tomorrow. I am going to trust you and send you back to your friends, as I have been put to considerable trouble to come up from Washington. How are you going to pay the bill? The boy stammered his gratitude. He suggested he could send him his savings. He could borrow money by mortgaging the farm. His friends would help too. And there was all his army pay. Then Mr. Lincoln put his hands on the boy's shoulders, and looking sorrowfully into his face, he said, My boy, my bill is a very large one. Your friends cannot pay it, nor your bounty, nor the farm, nor your comrades. There's only one man in all this world who can pay it, and his name is William Scott. If from this day William Scott does his duty, so that if I were to be there when he comes to die, he can look me in the face as he is now doing and say, I have kept my promise, then my debt will be fully paid. William Scott kept that promise. He had learned the secret that Mr. Lincoln's mother had taught him when a boy. It was this law of sacrifice, and that the beginning of such wisdom was the first, the desire and love of discipline, that it was the straight and narrow way that led to the high road of everything that makes life worth living. It was the road that led Mr. Lincoln to the White House. It was the road that leads back to the Vermont Hills to home, to happiness, and to mother. It is the road for all who persevere and find it. It is the road that Jesus followed to triumph and mastery. It is the road I recommend to you. For on it you will find the law of sacrifice ever working to bring you the joys and the pleasures that result always from the wisdom and understanding that accompany it. Blessed is the man who endureth temptation for when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord and law has promised to them that love him Invictus out of the night that covers me black as the pit from pole to pole I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul in the fell clutch of circumstance I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody, but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet this menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment, the scroll, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. W. E. Henley. So what you can get from this, what you can get from your own life and the lives of those around you is the idea that what you sacrifice will come back to you. And look at those people that have lived wonderful lives. Look at what they sacrificed. There's always sacrifice behind any great success. At a minimum, you're sacrificing your time and your energy. You're always sacrificing something. But if you understand this role of sacrifice, you understand the true power of service. If you can sacrifice your comfort just a little bit, then on the other side of it, you will find the most incredible joy and bliss. Service often involves some sort of sacrifice. Sacrifice of your time. I'm too busy. 
to be of service now. I got things to worry about for myself. There's often some sacrifice of the self involved in service. Maybe it's your money. Maybe it's something else. But in all cases, if you can learn that on the other end of that sacrifice, there's something glorious and wonderful. You're always repaid for what you sacrifice. But there's so much more to it. We all have to sacrifice something and will sacrifice something in the end. It is the law. And it will determine the path that we end upon. It will determine the life that we live. And it will determine how close we are to the Creator. For the Creator gave the ultimate sacrifice, according to Neville Goddard. The Creator sacrificed Himself in all things, pouring out Himself into all of us to live, forgetting who He really was, to empower our souls in this flesh, to create worlds, galaxies, and universes. A sacrifice. This sacrifice allows for the universe to be as it is. A sacrifice to follow the laws of the universe. And I wish to be like God. To sacrifice. To radiate. To sacrifice my energy, time, and love. For I am excited to see the other end of that sacrifice. Now that I understand the law of sacrifice. You can find all episodes of The Reality Revolution at therealityrevolution.com. I'd love it if you checked out my art. You can find it at www.newearth.art. I'm sending all my light and all my love to you. And welcome to The Reality Revolution.